Hey, what's up? It's Canucks Talk here on a Canucks game day. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host on the road covering the team. Of course, he is Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team for the Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. What's going on, Drance? Hey, bud. Not much. How are you? I'm good. How's Boston? I love Boston. Sunny. The weather's been beautiful. Walked across the common to get to oh, the lovely. garden today. I mean, this is, uh, yeah, this is one of those, especially with the game in Boston, a historic venue. There's something about Canucks versus Bruins that gets the blood pumping. Like these, this, these are the days that this is um, lots of fun to be on the road covering this team. No doubt about it. It should be a good one tonight. And uh, let's just get right into it. Let's do the whiteboard. All right, now, fellas, hey, let's focus up, huh? Your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks today, February 8th. And, of course, the headline is the Canucks and the Bruins meet. And as you said, Drancer, look, for the last 13 years now, always something a little special. Still, I think, I don't think that's going too far at all when these teams meet, at least for Canucks fans. But tonight, it's not just the Canucks and the Bruins. It's not just uh, a chance to, you know, revisit and relitigate yet again the 2011 Stanley Cup final uh, for, you know, the as we do twice a year when these teams meet in this city. It's also a clash between the top two teams in the NHL, number one in the West, number one in the Eastern Conference. So it's the emotional side of things. It's the history between these two teams. But beyond that, two really, really good hockey teams going at each other in a big game tonight in Boston. A heavyweight clash. Yeah. I mean, the Canucks are what, 18-2-3 dating back to the loss to the New Jersey Devils in early December. I mean, this is, team doesn't lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they may never lose again. Um, it's been an incredible run, and they've narrowed. You know, the Bruins have spent most of the season like well north of 700 point percentage. Uh, that the Canucks have closed like this uh, and are actually ahead of them with a chance to stretch their lead tonight. It, it's remarkable. The the run this team has been on, overshadowed as it was perhaps by the Oilers' win streak. Um, you know that they, like it shouldn't be overshadowed, right? It, mm-hmm. it, we should not diminish that this team picks up points just about every night. Yeah, and they've been on that stretch, as you said, going back two months at this point of just really, really impressive hockey and an impressive run, it's an incredible run of results as well. And as you said, like basically holding serve with the Oilers, if not even stretching the lead a little bit, reeling in the Bruins. You know, they're starting to pad their cushion in the Western Conference uh, a little bit. Like, all of this is incredible considering how well some of these other teams that we're talking about are playing as well. And, you know, it is cool that, like, and I don't want to do the, hey, is this a Stanley Cup final preview or anything? I mean, look, it's the top team in the West and the top team in the Eastern Conference playing together in February. Even if it wasn't the Canucks and the Bruins, there's going to be eyeballs on that game, right? There's going to be focus on that as, hey, that's that's cool, right? The top two teams uh, in each conference going at it. But I do think it's fun that, because there's been a long time where, you know, the emotion in this game didn't go away. But this is the first time in a long time that it actually matters beyond that, right? Even if you set aside the 2011 Stanley Cup final, it's just 
this is a measuring stick game for both teams, a game that both teams have a chance to really get excited for, really get invested in to show what they can do. Big swing game in the President's Trophy race, Jamie. Don't undersell that point. Yeah, 100%. Got to pad that lead. <laughs> no, pad come that on. Lead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Stanley Cup, the Stanley Cup final preview thing, you know, I mean, potentially, right? But I mean, this it's not like two the two favorites going head to head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the Bruins are fringes of the top five, the Canucks are fringes of the top ten in terms of Stanley Cup odds. Uh, if either team's going to make it to even the conference final, you know, they're gonna have to get past at least an elite side, whether it's Vegas or Edmonton for Vancouver, whether it's Florida for Boston. I mean, there's a lot of road to run before <laughs> before we get to where the specter of a Boston Vancouver rematch is like really front of mind. Um, you know, for now this is a battle between the two top teams, and that's yep. uh, an incredible thing, just an incredible sentence to say about the Vancouver Canucks, <laughs> you know, especially, like, when you think about the run that they're on right now, right? Like, they were 16-9-1 mm -hmm. at the time that they lost that game to the New Jersey Devils, um, or after they lost that game to the New Jersey Devils, and, you know, they'd pl been playing 500 hockey dating back almost a month, like three and a half weeks. Um, you know, it, it it seems quaint now, but, like, there was a feeling that hey this start the start hashtag the start might have been you know tenuous maybe this team was gonna certainly I wasn't seeing the marks of an elite team and really didn't until a month into this streak that they're on where where I think they materially leveled up so um you know it, it's just amazing that the Canucks have put themselves in a spot where this game has you know like you can credibly say something like hey big swing in the president's trophy race tonight <laughs> like just what world are we living in it's wild it's absolutely incredible it's a great spot to be in here uh in February with the Canucks playing you know like look anytime you can have even games on an Eastern Conference road trip that have because it's not your conference rivals it's not your division rivals right there's no real stakes in the standings as much as we're joking about the president's trophy but anytime like when you're that good that even these games have this extra sense of meaning uh and, and importance it's pretty great I do also want to note of course Boston lost uh to Calgary in their first game on home ice mm. outside of the um after the all-star break and I know their coach Jim Montgomery very displeased with his team's performance in that one and really let them have it so you know I think sometimes there's a sense of this is a very lopsided emotional affair right that the Canucks fans care a lot more about it than than Bruins fans might but I think from an on ice perspective here like I would expect a very very motivated agitated Bruins team with the Canucks coming in you know their first place in the league they just lost to Calgary I think you're going to see uh the best the Bruins have to have to offer tonight is there a matchup or a like rival of any kind small r rival to the Canucks where Canucks fans aren't more worked up about it than the, their opponent? Well, I mean, it used to be. Do the Wild still think the, there's a rivalry? The Wild used to be. Yeah. Used to be. But Does, I feel like that's faded. I think, I don't, yeah, I don't know how many Wild fans still perceive there to be a rivalry. But that would have been yeah. the answer. Because you're right, with Calgary and Edmonton, obviously <laughs> it kind of gets canceled out. You know what I will well, say? And, and Actually. They, they care. They care. They like to beat the Canucks, don't get me wrong, but they care more about the rivalry with one another. Well, that's what I mean. Canucks yeah, fans it, it, like, love it, that, to beat the Leafs. Yeah. But like the but for Leafs fans, it's like, yeah, obviously they'd rather win, but I don't think they I don't it's not circled on the calendar the same way it is for Canucks fans, I'd say. I think that's true with Boston. 100%. I think it was true with Chicago. Um you know, I, like 
I, I, I think Vegas. I think you know, you know like, what the answer is is uh, Seattle. Because do you remember? Um, right, Seattle has the, the Tyler Myers. Yeah, hate. They hate Tyler Myers. <laughs> remember Softy from from down there? Uh, Dave Muller yeah, came on Muller, and, yeah. and was like really trying to like, oh Tyler Myers, and everyone was like, what are you? What? What are you? What, it, what happened again? Jog our memory. So I think the answer I, uh, might be Seattle right now. I brought it up to Tyler Myers once, and he was like completely unaware. <laughs> He's just like, really? Huh? <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the current answer where they've like invented this whole yeah. drama surrounding Tyler Myers. And then I occasionally like we're like, oh, right. I vaguely remember there was something ha- something <laughs> happened there. <laughs> it was like a away from the puck collision. Too, yeah. Like, with Matty Veneers. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely not something uh, malicious in my view. So, no, I mean, good. Like, I'd love for there to be more of a rivalry between Seattle and Vancouver. Maybe maybe we get there if Seattle can hey, get their act together if, in the second if half. If they get to that second wildcard spot, we could see it. That would really That's what I'm saying. get a like, rivalry if, going. Yeah. The moment you get a playoff series between those teams, you'll you'll have a rivalry. Uh, but I am excited for this one, right? And as I said, and now I will say, in terms of, like, the on-ice rivalry, we should probably mention the uh, Jeremy Swayman and, and Thatcher Demko hug gate. Oh, <laughs> that is so Swayman nothing. pouring cold water over any the idea that there was any beef there Demko apologized to him offered offered him a hug so the team's kind of offered him a hug yeah I did I just I mean my goodness <laughs> how far we've come yeah, from seriously. pumping tires and and uh Marchand you know low bridging Sallow and speed bagging Daniel yeah. Sedin to Demko offered Swayman a hug Bullies and are all is now forgiven my goodness like, but anyways, <laughs> forget that. It should still be a really fun game. <laughs> yeah. All I right. don't know, man. Like, the, the, this, um, <laughs> that I just felt like an old man. Like, I was about to, like, go on a rant about wokeness or something. Yeah, I, I was know. like, what's you're, happened you're, to this game up. we love? Like, too many hugs <laughs> and not enough fights in hockey now. <laughs> where's the bad feeling yeah, from where, 10 years ago where there still wasn't much bad feeling? Yeah, not, not the, like it used to be. So, where's the bad blood? Anyway. Uh, all right, so those are your headlines. For Hopefully, today. we get some. Yeah. Hopefully, we get some. Like at the end of the day, there's still enough guys on both teams. Like it, it's not hard to imagine that Marchand and JT Miller could get into it or something. Nope. and that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Like, let's hope so. Yeah, Connor Garland in his uh, in his hometown playing, and you know he's he can agitate guys. Niels Hoaglander can be pretty agitating. So uh, we'll see. No it, should, it should be fun. Uh, to the broadsheet, a couple of interesting things to touch on today. First. Report from uh, our friend Rick Dollywall on Donnie and Dolly today that the Canucks are, quote, poking around on Phil Kessel, who is, of course, a uh, unrestricted free agent. Those are the words he used. <laughs> but I know, I know, I know. But it's like poking around the Pillsbury Doughboy, <laughs> which isn't a knock on Phil Kessel, just like the poking yeah. action makes me think of it's some, just, you know, know, poking. Got, they got a stick. Some raw pastry going Woo-hoo! poking around, seeing um, what's going on over there. Uh, yeah, this one's really interesting. Like, let's let's dwell on this a bit. Okay. Because, so, th- there's sort of two things I think are fair takeaways from Vancouver's rumored interest in Phil Kessel. The, the first one is the context of Pew Suter on that JT Miller, Brock Besser line, and mm-hmm. Ilya Mikheyev on the Patterson-Lindholm line. You know, is there a feeling that the Canucks want like another body, another another guy to audition yep. to hold down a top six wing spot? Right. That's that's one sort of um, takeaway from this. The other is how can Phil Kessel possibly fit 
as like an offensive driver for your bottom six when you've already got Hoaglander and Garland. Yeah. Right? I think both of those things are reasonable takeaways here. I really struggle to understand how Phil Kessel helps this team. Um, you know, I do think five-on-five offense is like generating more five-on-five offense I still think is going to matter for this team down the stretch. I know that that hasn't been an issue all year. Uh, you know, I've been saying that it will be at some point. Uh, that, that just hasn't come to pass. The Canucks keep getting bounces, keep finding ways to convert efficiently. But when you really look at the underlying profile, the amount of rush chances they're getting versus the amount that they're converting, I mean, this has been a hugely opportunistic team. And at some point, I think you want to be able to generate more. Um, you know, Kessel helps or could help in that area, but uh, comes at the expense of some defensive solidity. And, and I don't think he helps as much in that area as Hoaglander or Garland do. So I like really struggle to see this fit unless there's another shoe to drop, which I'm sure leads you to the next item on the uh, broadsheet bulletin. Well, yeah, but I just on Kessel. So for me, because I agree with a lot of what you were saying there, right? Like, I th- let's say you sign Phil Kessel tomorrow. I don't think he's getting in the lineup. Like, I don't think you're bumping anyone from the lineup to make room for Phil Kessel because of all the reasons you said. Like, is he is he an upgrade over Niels Hoaglander? I don't think so at this point. No. I know people look at Niels Amon, but he has the penalty-killing value, right, that you'd obviously – and he plays center that you'd obviously be using. Are you slotting Phil Kessel into your top six? I don't think so. Now, that doesn't mean there's no world where it could work because let's say, you know, you get to – a couple of days out from the deadline, you've exhausted your other options. You didn't find a fit that you liked in terms of a depth forward. Hey, you want to use some of that cap space to sign Phil Kessel for the rest of the season? You have a veteran. He's kind of a break glass in case of emergency option if there's an injury in your top six. You know, he obviously familiarity a ton of it with Rick Tockett and Jim Rutherford. I can buy that. But I don't know that you've got to go out and proactively use some of your very precious remaining cap space on Phil Kessel when I just don't think he's an upgrade on any of the 12 forwards you have going right now. And probably not on Phil DiGiuseppe either, right? So, you know, you'd be kind of signing him as your 14th forward. You just have to be very careful about committing cap space when you have such a limited amount of it uh, to that kind of initiative. Again, could it could would I would I have a problem with it if that's what it amounted to? No, not really. But like you, I don't really see the fit in terms of style of play and what role uh, he's going to yeah. he's going to play on the team. I, I think you're better off. Like the one thing that I do think this team could use was if they could find a forward with some size. Yep. Who could be another candidate to compete with Mikheyev and Suter, but could also play down lineup. Um, you know, and, and ideally kill some penalties mm-hmm. so that you had an option uh, to upgrade over Niels Amon, right? To me, that would be higher leverage than, um, you know, a, a sort of like depth piece who'd probably be, be best suited to filling in for one of Hoaglander or Garland. Um, you know, likewise, using that cap space on a defenseman to me would be higher leverage. So yeah. I, I sort of look at this and think unless there's a deal that requires a forward to be sent out, right? Like something that, that the club views as game-changing on the back end, for example. Mm-hmm. I really struggle to to see how Kessel's like plus EV for where this team sits. Now, the other interesting report, uh, this one not from, uh, from Vancouver, out of Philadelphia from uh, Flyers reporter Anthony DeMarco, who I believe is uh, with a, a few outlets, but specifically the fourth period, uh, tweeting that, Rasmus Mustelainen, of course, a Flyers forward, 
potential trade target ahead of the or uh, Flyers defenseman, excuse me, potential trade target ahead of the deadline. Uh, big and, right-handed D. Big right-handed defenseman and Anthony DeMarco saying the Leafs and the Canucks are the two teams that he has heard with interest in Rasmus Ristolainen. And Ristolainen, three more years left of this one at $5.1 million. I believe DeMarco was also saying, you know, teams probably look at him as a, hey, if you can retain and get it down to 3.5, then we're interested, uh, and maybe the Flyers would be willing to do something at that. Ristolainen is a fascinating player because he's that, as you said, big, mobile, super athletic, right shot defenseman, but he's also been like the classic example of a player who – you know, he's like the, it's like the classic money ball thing, right? Like, he looks great in jeans, but does he actually help you win hockey games? Now, I think he's had a bit of resurgence in Philadelphia. His role has been managed, all of that, and so the results have been better than they were earlier in his career. But I think, fair to say, still a pretty divisive player. And if you're taking on that kind of salary cap commitment, you know, I can, I can imagine them looking, the Canucks looking at him and saying, you know, look at the results we're getting out of Tyler Myers, right? Look at what Rick Tockett and Adam Foote have been able to do with this defense core generally. If we can get another big right-shot defenseman in, we're playing him in our third pair, can we get similar results out of that? I can understand that, but I do think there's some risk involved with Ristolainen as well. For sure. And, yeah, I mean, I, I don't love this one. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. And, and you know, I think this is – one of the things we've seen, like lo- like big sample from Jim Rutherford teams, is when you bet on fit, right? Like when, when you're betting on fit and betting that your team and your system can accommodate players, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be ads you make dating back to Pittsburgh, you know, Trevor Daly, uh, had terrible underlying numbers, came to Pittsburgh and was like a monster. Ron Hainsey was a top-pair guy. Couldn't get a job anywhere until like August and then was a top-pair guy on a cup winner. Justin Schultz resuscitating his career. Like when, when it works on the back end, and I think we've seen some of it in Vancouver too, based on what this team's getting from Carson Soucy, based yep. on what Ethan Bear did in his one year. Philip Peronic leveling up. Tyler Myers finding his game. I mean, when it works, it looks genius, right? Um but then you get the good Branson and the Jack Johnson, right? Like then you get the swings yep. that miss uh, because sometimes you're right. You can, you can plug them in and the fit is perfect and you can get the most out of them, but it's, it's ultimately a volatile bet. So when you Mike Matheson kind of is like a, you know, both, like you saw both sides of the coin yeah. with Mike Matheson in Pittsburgh, you saw him fit and not, um, you know, Marcus Pedersen, same thing, right? He came in, he's having a great year again this year. He had a great year last year, but he also had two years where he looked like he was on a bad contract. Great trade, iffy signing, you know, and, and, and again, just illustrating the volatility, you know, I like it better when the risk is managed, right? Like, I, I'm okay with those bets. This front office has a good track record of these bets dated, predating their time in Vancouver, but when the bet is like Cole... Right? I, right, I find that far more palatable than when it's Ristolainen at five plus times three. That to me shades into where you know, given that Ristolainen's been like a, a negative two-way um, proposition for much of his career, you know, that to me, that to me, like the the risk profile of that particular bet far exceeds my tolerance and feels in line to me with some of the bets that. 
um, you know, the Rutherford teams placed toward the end of their tenure in Pittsburgh that kind of went belly up on them. My first reaction to seeing this was, to me, it would make a lot more sense in the summer, right? Because we all know how many unrestricted free agents they have, in particular on the blue line, obviously Tyler Myers. And if you could, you know, Philly was retaining, so it was down to 3.5, and you looked at it and said, this is basically going to be UFA acquisition for us, right? Three years at 3.5 for a guy with some upside because of his tools, but also those question marks, we're going to bet on ourselves. And, you know, that's a, a relatively low cost option with some upside that we're taking as we rebuild our blue line with all of these unrestricted free agents. I can buy into that bet. The problem for me is, again, it's it's a similar discussion to Phil Kessel, right, where you've only got so many cards left to play here. You've only got so much cap space, right? Like, so every mm-hmm. acquisition you do, it's not just does the player fit. It's also there's an opportunity cost to doing that acquisition instead of another one. And the question for me is, would Ristolainen increase your odds enough at going deep in the playoffs, at winning the Stanley Cup, to justify it being kind of your one final move, your one final big move, or are there other names out there? Like that, to me, it's, yeah. you know, if we're talking about him in the summer, okay, I can understand it, but I don't know if that's something that you you want to jump through a bunch of hoops for and, you know, take out forwards out of the lineup and all of that to add him going into a playoff run. Yeah, I, I think that's well said, but I also think you have to factor in acquisition cost and the mm-hmm. potential that it would cause you to... Um, lose players from your lineup today, right? So yep. that sort of further negates the um, sort of further negates any possible value. I mean, you know, we all know what I think of Connor Garland, for example, right? Like if adding Ristolainen is at, it comes at the cost, like, like Ristolainen at three five is perfectly fine. Yep. I'm not a big fan of the player, but you know, there's like a hundred defensemen in the NHL with a cap hit of. Um, 3.5 million or more, uh, actually 102. So, you know, I mean, is he one of the top hundred defensemen on the planet? Yes. So if you're, if you're getting him for three and a half, that's like not even an inefficient, that's not even a huge risk really, given his age. Um, that's completely palatable in, in my view. But if it comes at the cost of, you know, whether it's, um, whether it's a Zadorov or a, yep. Hoaglander or a Garland, uh, you know, because I, I don't really think he's as valuable as those players. So that's that's where I, I think it gets risky uh, again, even if the cap hits, you know, totally something you can stomach. Yeah, it's an interesting name and, an, you know, a new name out there that we haven't really heard connected to the Canucks uh, in the past. You can see the template yeah. based on some of the past acquisitions. But I agree if you're if you're really having to rejig your lineup to fit in this player ahead of the playoffs, I, I don't know if the upside is there. Uh, to right. make it worth it. Needs to be a bigger difference maker in yeah. my view. Yeah, to justify like multiple pieces going out and guys, yep. you know, new guys stepping in and all I of like that. the idea of the maneuver though. Like I like the idea of the Canucks finding a three year fit who's like a rental plus. Mm. Like I love that. I think that's exactly what they should be looking for. I just don't love Ristaline and as the as the template. For that type of move. Uh, we'll get through some of the other uh, features on the whiteboard here. And I mean, I'm sure we'll have a chance to dip back into the rumor talk and the trade talk later on in the show. So keep your text coming in 650-650. Lineup notes, no surprise today. Canucks stick with the same lineup they used in Carolina. Thatcher Demko will start as well. So he is going for his franchise record 10th straight win tonight. Uh, that would be pretty cool for Thatcher Demko to get, as I said, same lineup for the Canucks. Playoff forecast, 
Uh, not a lot going on in the NHL last night, but the Dallas Stars did lose to the Leafs last night. So per Dom's model, Canucks now have a four-point cushion in the Western Conference projections. Canucks projected to finish with 113 points, Dallas and Winnipeg at 109 after Dallas drops a little uh, with that loss to the, uh, to the Leafs last night. Division <laughs> odds unchanged. Okay. Yeah, what? It's true. The four I points. I know, I know. It's just like four points okay. up. Okay. <laughs> sure. Just more great stuff happening uh, for the Canucks. And uh, yeah, so it rained three points up on the Bruins with 110 projected point pace. So uh, just everything coming up Canucks, everything continuing to coming up, uh, come up Canucks, even even things that you wouldn't think were super relevant, like a, a Stars-Leafs game, somehow benefiting the Canucks, Trancer. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's it's the snow day continues. Yep. We'll never go to public school again. <laughs> um, Canucks are road dogs tonight, plus one ten to plus one fifteen, depending on where you're placing your bet. Bruins minus one thirty to minus one forty favorites uh, again, depending on where you're p- placing your bet. The total has been steamed up a little bit. You'll find it mostly at six. You can get it at six and a half in some places for for like plus one ten. Um, but mostly it's uh, it's at six. Love those whole number overs, right? High probability mm. of a push. So if you if you like the under or the over, right? You've also got the safe zone that would be a four two game. Um, so yeah, love love a whole number uh, OU set at six consensus at the moment. That is the whiteboard for today. Canucks game day against the Bruins. Of course, an early one. They're out east, so it'll be a 4 o'clock puck drop. Lots of game day coverage coming up here and on the station. More Canucks talk on the way here on Sportsnet 650.